In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, it is nice to see you here this evening, to see some new and unfamiliar faces, folks visiting with us. Glad that you're here, and I'm glad myself to be back after being away last week. Thankful to Father Steve uh, for celebrating and preaching last week. Uh, I was in Birmingham, Alabama. Alabama, man. Well, I, that, was for, that was Virginian there, boy. So I was in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, did some teaching at Christ the King Parish last Sunday and then spoke at Beeson Divinity School. Um, on Tuesday, they have an Anglican Studies program, so it was good to, to be there and get to, to know that program and some of those students a little, but uh, always happy to, to be back in, uh, here at home at Epiphany. So the first Sunday in Lent is always the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, it's only mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels, so just in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but that's okay because we have a three-year lectionary, so we only need three of them. If we had that fourth, we wouldn't know what to do with it. So in one sense, I guess we're thankful that John doesn't have it in his Gospel, but first Sunday in Lent, we always revisit this moment in the life of Jesus, and, and it's interesting because you know we celebrate the baptism in January, just liturgically, and then we have this gap of time. Uh, liturgically speaking, but of course, today's reading picks up, right? So that right after Jesus' baptism filled with the Holy Spirit, he sent out into the wilderness. So we need to connect this introduction of Jesus, his ministry by way of his baptism, with his immediate going out into the wilderness. And I think that's good for us as we enter into Advent, every, Advent, my goodness, into Lent every year, uh, because we need to also be kind of immediately sent, if you will, into this season of penitence and prayer like we have been singing, right? It's a season of penitence. It's a season of prayer. If you were uh, here for Ash Wednesday, as many of you were, we were able to hear the charge that only once a year charge, unfortunately, from the Book of Common Prayer, where we are reminded about the things that we are to be doing during this season, fasting and praying and reading scripture and engaging in acts of self-denial. And that's, that's hard to do, right? Because Ash Wednesday is a day on the calendar. And then, I don't know about you, but Ash Wednesday always sets itself in my mind, mostly because we have a 6.30 a.m. service, right? So I get up a little earlier than normal. I come to church. That's different. So the day feels different. And then even though I might forget about it, at some point I find myself looking in a mirror and go, oh, right, I have those ashes on my forehead reminding me that I am dust and to dust I shall return. But then I get up on Thursday and life is back to normal. Is it not? Right? For most practical purposes, life is back to normal. And it's easy, I think, to forget that we just heard a charge on Ash Wednesday about what our life should be framed like during the season. And it's tempting, I think, to immediately kind of forget that charge and to maybe go back to some of our normal day-in and day-out life and choices. And, and this isn't about just giving something up or adding something for Lent. It's about orienting ourselves differently to the death and then, again, ultimate resurrection of Jesus. But as I say every year, we don't want to move too quickly to the resurrection. We have to prepare ourselves for the death. And so Lent is giving us that opportunity to prepare ourselves for death. It is, it is not about just giving something up. It is not about adding something into your normal discipline. It's much bigger than that. If, if you will, if you will, we set the bar kind of low, actually, I think, in many ways. I mean, every Ash Wednesday when I hear that charge, when I read 
that charge to keep a holy Lent. I mean, I'm humbled by what it said there because already I feel like I'm pushing the boulder, the proverbial boulder, up the hill. But that's what Lent does. It sets us. It, it disposes us in a certain direction. And so this temptation of Jesus reinforces that. That even Jesus himself, after being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit there at his baptism, that very beautiful Trinitarian reference, the, God the Father speaks out of heaven, the Spirit descends upon the Son, who's being baptized by John the Baptist, that then immediately, what, he's sent into what must have been one of the greatest trials of his life. Right? Because, first off, we need to note that he was led in the Spirit by, or so he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He didn't sign up for this. I wouldn't sign up for it. I mean, I'll be penitential for Lent to a point, right? I mean, let's be honest. Like, I will give things up. I will be penitential to a point, but I'm not going to sign up to say, let's do this. How about I go without food for 40 days and you set me in the wilderness and get Satan busy tempting me? Not interested in signing up for that, but yeah, that's exactly what happens to Jesus. It's like leaving a great party only to go into one of the most difficult seasons of your life, right? It's, it's like, I don't know, it's like getting married, or for those who are married, or it's like winning the lottery, though I've never had that happen, or just picture whatever it is that's a great moment, and then immediately having one of the worst months of your life. Right? That's what's happening here. It's like the joy of graduating from college, and I hope this isn't prophetic for those who are going to graduate here in a couple of months. It's, it's the joys of graduating from college and then realizing you don't have a job or something like that, right? So I've been there, by the way, and not just college. I graduated with my PhD and didn't have a job. That's even better. So, um, but again, that's, this, that's what's happening. We need to get ourselves into this. Uh, this mentality to point ourselves towards the fact that Jesus led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit sets the tone for the season of Lent. But what's happening to Jesus has happened before, right? If we think carefully about the Old Testament, and I'm sure you are, and you think about something like Exodus 13, 18, we have this verse, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So God delivers his people from oppression in Egypt, then he leads them around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt into what? The wilderness. Right? Not into the land flowing with milk and honey, but into the wilderness. And this, this wasn't, you know, this was God's plan all along. This wasn't the 40-year detour yet. This was the way to get from Egypt to the promised land. It was going to have the wilderness in between. Right? It was going to need manna from heaven, quail from heaven, water from a rock. That was the plan of God. Right? It wasn't straight from Egypt to the land of grapes that could hardly be carried by two men on a pole. Right? The wilderness was always part of the plan. So again, as we think about that in the, in the way that God works in the life of his people of Israel, we see now Jesus, again, living this out in his own life. And let me go ahead and start thinking about the way this is going to apply to us. Is like, why would we think perhaps any differently? Right? Why would we think that we're necessarily going to be ushered into the promised land ourselves without some going through the wilderness? And again, we can't control those real wilderness seasons in our life, right? Like, you know what was great about Brendan and Nathaniel before they were born? 
They were so stubborn that we scheduled their delivery. Isn't that great for those of you who are parents? We scheduled the day we were going to become parents. It was awesome. When are you going to become a parent? Friday. You know how I know that? Because he's overdue and we put it on the calendar. And guess what? In Brendan's case, Friday. It was, in fact, the day. Nathaniel, I forget what. Oh, Good Friday. Actually, you were born on Good Friday, so it was a Friday for you too. Brendan, sorry, maybe it wasn't Friday for you. But anyway, whatever day July 5th was that year, we had it on the calendar. We can't do that with our life. You know what, God? A difficult season would be good maybe between this date and this date. Right? A difficult season would be good if you could put it, I don't know, let's put it off a year. How about that, right? 2019, you know, I don't want that to be as difficult as 2018. Maybe we could revisit some of this difficulty in 2020. It doesn't work like that. I'm not saying it worked like that for Jesus. It certainly didn't work like that for the Israelites, though what you make of the experience of going through the wilderness seems to be part of the point of all of this. The Israelites grumbled and complained. Again, I'm not saying I wouldn't have done the same thing, right? Jesus doesn't grumble and complain. He responds exactly like we would expect our Savior to respond, which is positively. So he eats nothing. He's fasting. We'll return to that at the end. But the devil shows up, the adversary, the one who's against God, shows up. Jesus is hungry. Satan shows up. Most logical thing to do, offer him food, right? So Satan says, hey, Jesus, man can't live by bread alone, right? And the devil took him up, or sorry, um, if you just command these stones to become bread, you, you can eat. You know, there's no reason you have to be hungry, right? It's like a refrigerator full of food, I don't know, and a teenager who can't cook. You don't have to go hungry. You can get into the refrigerator, there's food. I don't know how to fix that. Well, it's there, right? So Jesus, like stones, bread, you can do this. You're the son of God. I mean, Jesus has got to be famished. He has got to be starving. He's a human like us. Remember when we fasted on the Fridays of Advent for those who were able to do it, right? It wasn't even a full 24 hours, which maybe some of you did, but that wasn't what we challenged you with. It was to skip a meal. I remember that first Friday in Advent. It was like three o'clock and I was just starving, right? I was like, I was getting what, what was hangry or I was getting like angry about being hungry. Unfortunately, on Fridays, I'm mostly in my office alone, which is probably where I should have been at that point. So Jesus has got to be starving. He's human like us. And Satan shows up and says, you know what, Jesus, you could eat. You could make these stones bread. And Jesus responds with what? Quoting scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone. The tradition tells us that what Satan was really getting at here, what the devil was getting at, was what we would think of as like sensual gratification. So not sexual, sensual, right? Gluttony and lust would be the sins that fall under that. The temptation there is be gluttonous, eat, because you should and can, right? Lust after this thing that you don't have, bread, food. And then it ties into 1 John 2, 16, right? The lust of the flesh. John, man, I cannot talk tonight. John does this uh, threefold categorization of sins that we see echoed in the temptation, right? And actually we see it back in Genesis. So John says that he would call this the lust of the flesh. But remember back in the garden, Satan had already done this once before. 
The tree was good for food. You can eat of that tree. Jesus, just eat it. It's good. The food's going to be good. And if we read between the lines of that temptation in the garden, nowhere does Genesis tell us that they couldn't eat of every other tree. We're only told they couldn't eat of the one tree, right? You can eat of the fruit of the garden. So we assume that means everything else is at your disposal. Pick a fruit, pick a food, just not this one. And then Satan shows up and says, this one. This is the one you want. Why else would God have told you not to eat of this one? This is the special one. This is the best one. This is the good one. So we've heard this before. We've been warned about this by John in 1 John. And here's Jesus going through it. He's hungry. He's starving. And Satan says, eat food. And Jesus says, no, man does not live by bread alone. Of course, what he means there is man lives by being in communion with God, by being inspirited by God, not just giving in to our temptations, not just giving in even to our needs necessarily, but to live into the obedience of what God has called us to do. And for Jesus, that means to be fasting in the wilderness. So Satan switches to the other thing that he certainly probably thought Jesus would give in to because every human wants power. We are reminded frequently today about how much power we have. Matter of fact, human nature and human relationships are often only cast in, in, in the language of power these days. And to be blunt, as a white, educated male, supposedly I have a lot of it. Right? Like That's what society tells us. And then they'll pigeonhole you in your context and say, this is how much power you can have, and this is how much power you can have. And the whole point of the language of equality and rights is about power. This, this, this sense that we can all have power. So I think Satan was right. Like, tempt Jesus by offering him power. Everyone wants power. Power is like a currency that you don't actually trade in it except the fact that you do trade in it to some extent. Right? This would be the temptation of avarice, to have power and riches, that we want things that don't belong to us, that I'm avaricious to have things that aren't mine necessarily to have. John calls it the lust of the eyes. You see things you want and you take it. Power. If I have that, I'll be more powerful. If I have that, I'll be more powerful. Think about the garden. The tree was a delight to the eyes. Adam and Eve, if you eat that fruit, you'll be like God. You'll have power. You'll be like him. Not in that nice way that we talk about it, right, as Christians. Like, we want to be like God. No, this would be like, God just doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to know like him. He doesn't want you to be powerful like him. But if you eat this, this, this fruit, you can be like him. Jesus responds to Satan and says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In other words, no, Satan, you're wrong. Power is only an illusion because ultimately God is who is in control, and it's him only that we are meant to serve. I'm, in other words, I'm always on the losing end when it comes to God and power. But I'm on the right losing end. That God is the person that we want to be in charge, and I shouldn't be in charge. Right? So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 about man shall not live by bread alone. Here he's quoting Deuteronomy 6. 
answering Satan with scripture, but again, setting this proper relationship. No, Satan, you cannot tempt me with power. I'm not interested in that because I need to be detached from those things that I want to control. I shouldn't crave them. I should want to give them up. In today's language, in Lenten language, we would call the first, the no food, fasting, and we would call this almsgiving. We give up those things that we want to control. Our money, our things. So not only do we look at other people's things and maybe want them, but the things we have, we want to control. We want to power over them. And not just people, but things, but certainly people too. So Satan fails a second time by tempting Jesus. He's hungry. I'll offer him food, right? Every human wants power. I'll offer him power. Jesus says, no, no, thank you. I understand the proper relationship that I have with God the Father. And so Satan did what may have been the only option left to him. And he took him to Jerusalem, Jesus to Jerusalem. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, so now Satan's going to quote scripture. Sign of desperation, I think, right? If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Now let me quote scripture because I'm getting desperate. I'm running out of things. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And if one scripture is not enough, let me give you a second. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. In other words, throw yourself down. It's good. You can't get hurt. Scripture says you can't. God's going to take care of you right? But the problem there is that's a temptation towards some sort of sovereignty over ourselves in this twisted way, right? By claiming this promise of God, right? That he will send the angels to guard, that he will bear us up. But yet we, we take that as a promise and we make it our own and think we can do whatever we want because God is somehow going to be obligated now to protect us. Like I'm actually sovereign over my own life. I will control when I throw myself down off the pinnacle. And then God will be obligated to protect me. Why? Because he has said he will. We call that pride and vainglory in everyday language. First John, the pride of life. The garden, the tree. Genesis 3, the tree was to be desired. Why? To make one wise. They were craving something that wasn't their own. They wanted a wisdom and a knowledge that Adam and Eve have no business having. They wanted it because they wanted to be sovereign over their own lives. They did not want to submit to God. That's the heart of Satan's temptation to them. You'll be like him. He won't be over you. Again, it's connected to the second one, power, right? He won't have power over you. And actually, you'll have complete control over yourself. You'll have the power. You'll have the right. Matter of fact, you can, if you will, throw God's promises back up into his face. And he'll be stuck honoring those things. So if we counter the first temptation with fasting, which is what we're expected to do at some point during Lent in some way, shape, or form. If we counter the temptation to, be, to have power that doesn't belong to us, to have control of things, to have power over things, and almsgiving, giving away things, is the way to counter that. If this third temptation is about sovereignty, being my own boss, right, like obligating God to serve me, then prayer, I think, is the answer to that. Because in prayer, we demonstrate our dependence on God. Because people who think they're truly sovereign over everything don't pray to a God. 
why would you? God, I don't need to ask you anything because I can take care of myself. Be a pointless prayer. Don't know why you would do it. So Jesus again responds to that temptation with another quotation from Deuteronomy. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Notice that language. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's a direct quotation, but I think what Jesus is doing there is he's saying to Satan, guess what, Satan? Like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not trying to be sovereign over my own life because, again, I understand my proper relationship to God the Father. But also, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. By the way, Satan, you're only doing this because God the Father is letting you do this. He's your Lord and God. If my kids were to get upset with me, I don't think they've ever done this, but let's say they get so upset with me, they say, you're not my father anymore. Those of you who know me well enough to know, if I could be restrained in that moment, I'd probably say nothing, but that would be hard for me. So I'd probably say, like it or not, you can't change that. No, in fact, you can say it, but saying it doesn't make it true. I would be their father no matter the circumstance, at least biologically, right? And so here it's Jesus again saying, you know what, Satan, you only, you think you're being sovereign, you think you're doing something here. No, you're only doing this because God is letting you do this. Turns out, Satan, I think this is what Jesus is getting at, you're a pawn in God's plan for me, right? Because who sent me here, Satan? That's right, the Holy Spirit, Who is sustaining me in this temptation, Satan? That's right, the Holy Spirit. See, it turns out this whole thing is a bit of a game and a sham because you think you're doing something when, in fact, you're just being used by God. Satan leaves. I would, too, at that point. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So we don't want to lose sight of the fact that Jesus has somehow beat him and the game's over. This, this wasn't the championship game. This wasn't the end of the war. This is the end of the battle. Yeah, Satan will come back at an opportune time, and I think we'll see that come Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. We know Satan's going to come back and tempt, but Jesus has won because he understands the nature of what it means to be in a proper relationship. He understands what it means to be giving up of himself from food. He understands what it means to fast. He understands, and and we will see this worked out in his life, what it means to give up and give unto others the alms, the gifts that are due to them, to give up that temptation to power and control, that temptation to be sovereign over our whole life, because even Jesus goes into the wilderness in the future to do what? To pray. He's not sovereign over his whole life. His whole ministry is animated, empowered by the Spirit, animated by his communication and prayer with the Father. And so again, would we expect anything different in this, our Lenten journey in 2019? So what? We got some ashes smeared on our foreheads on Wednesday. We were reminded that we come from dust and to dust we'll go back. But do we feel ready to be pushed into the wilderness? Do we feel willing to submit ourselves to this liturgical season in a way that would be for our own good? 
that we would give up food and other things that we enjoy, that we would give up our temptations to power, our temptations to be our own gods, sovereign over our own selves. Because if we're not, if we don't, then we're not making a good Lent. Again, Lent is not about giving something up. Good, give something up. Give it up forever. Never take it back on again. We all do garbage we don't need in our life. We all have things we don't need. Let's give it up. Why not? Make, I mean, the rule of Benedict says every day ought to be a continuous Lent. It's one of my favorite passages from the rule of Benedict. Like, why have a season of Lent? Have a life of Lent. It's awesome. I love it. Don't say I do it very well, but I love it. So as I end, let me challenge us to these disciplines, to disciplines that will enrich us, to disciplines that remind us that we are tempted towards sensual gratification, that we are tempted towards power and riches, that we are tempted to, um, to be sovereign over our own selves, to be prideful, to be vainglorious, to be avaricious, to be gluttonous, to be lustful, to be fill in the blank. And I want to challenge us in particular towards the discipline of fasting, in part because I want to pick up that from our season of Advent, but also because I think in today's day and age, this is a particularly good discipline for us to adopt. And I don't mean just from food, but from perhaps social media, from technology in general, from fill in the blank. Again, there's, food is not the only thing we fast from, but let us at least think about fasting from food. Let us think about fasting from other things that have control over us. I just realized the other day, the faculty of the Tory Honors Institute, most of us, a couple people can't because of their life, their, the, the way they've organized their life, and this is fine, but the bulk of us have agreed we're not going to check email or respond to email after 9 o'clock. And we, we want to try to model that. We sent out a, an admonition to the whole student body that said, try to do this with us if you can. So the other night, it's like 8.55, like Thursday night, i got to check my email because I can't touch the iPad in five minutes. And then I did it, and I laid it down, and I said, man, pathetic. Something really sad about that. Sure, I can justify it. What if a student needs something of me, right? What if they're asking for an extension? It was spring break. I didn't, they always need me, I like to think. So what if, what if a student needs an extension? I've got to check my email. What if they email at 9.03 and they don't hear back? They're going to spend all night stressing about it, staying up when they don't have to, because I would probably give them the extension. It is easy to justify all of this. So easy. But let me challenge us. This Advent, gosh, this Lent, sorry, this Lent, to think about this temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, to think about what it is that it's teaching us, to think about the way that, again, we can just enter this Lent, not just by giving something up, but pointing ourselves towards Jesus' death, pointing ourselves into this wilderness, living into this wilderness, fasting. I want to challenge us to fast from food and from other things that have control of us. But if you can, go above and beyond that. Give alms, read scripture, repent of your sins, do all of those things that we heard on Ash Wednesday as an admonition to do. And if you weren't here or don't remember what that is, it's in the Book of Common Prayer. Look it up. Email me. I will send it to you. But let us follow our Lord. We've been driven here, I think, ourselves by the Spirit each year encouraging us 
to grow closer to him in this Lenten season, to show our dependence on him during this Lenten season. Don't fast in your own power. Let the Spirit support you and strengthen you in this fasting, whatever it's from. And let this fasting open you up to the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's the great thing about this fasting. You get something in return from these spiritual disciplines. You get God being able to work deeply inside of you, to change you, to be different at the end of this Lent than you were at the beginning. So let us go into these 40 days pointed in the right direction, learning from the Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit to give up and to do those things that God has called us to do. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.